Christchurch, New Malden, 4th of August 2019, 11 o'clock service. Frank Dobson speaking on Why I Am a Christian. In this series of talks, uh, we're having the youth view from the uh, younger members of the Kurt family, but I'm afraid you seem to be running out of people who were willing to do these talks. So you've got an old crock today who couldn't even get up on his own into the pulpit. Now I'm going to get back out again. I have no idea. But I hope I can follow the advice of George Burns, the American comedian, who said that a talk should have a good beginning and a good end, and they shouldn't be too far apart. <laughs> but why am I a Christian? The simple answer is because I can't imagine being anything else. I agree with the philosophy and teachings of Jesus Christ and his divinity, and this, I know, is the way that I want to try and lead my life. Also, my family have been Christians for very many generations, and my great-grandfather moved to the then fledgling village of New Malden in 1854, where he discovered there was no school and the only way to go to church was across the fields to St Peter's in Norberton. Uh, so, with a few others, uh, they held a meeting at which he proposed a resolution that it would be advisable to immediately build a schoolroom to be used as a temporary church until a permanent edifice could be raised. This temporary church was in Poplar Grove and the permanent edifice is the building we're in at this moment. He thought it would be a good idea to get the support of the Member of Parliament for the area, one Henry Drummond. But what he hadn't realised was that this was one of the Drummonds who had founded the Catholic Apostolic Church over at Albury, which were absolutely the strictest uh, Christian sect that you could find, who considered all the others pretty lax. And by the time you got to the Church of England, this was so bad that it just had to be uh, the, the invention of the devil. So uh, he didn't reply. My, my great-grandfather wrote again, and this time he did get a reply, which I shall read to you. Uh, Some speculators, having invested their money in endeavouring to build a little town and finding that no one will live in such wet and flat a place, first to try the attraction of a gin shop, that's where the glass house is now, and then a second, roughly where Bar Malden is. Still, the speculation would not answer, and they tried to the effect, uh, the effect of a spiritual gin shop, the spiritus not being sufficient. There is no more need of a church than there is a town, a piece of religious canting imposture from beginning to end of which there are spenny specimens all over the land, and they ought to be exposed by being described in their true colours. I am your obedient servant. Uh, well, I didn't take any notice of this, I'm glad to say, and went ahead with it. And on the screen you have got my great-grandfather, uh, Henry Thomas Dobson, who was one of the first church wardens of this church, and the family also provided the screen, which we talked about a few minutes ago. Now, the family have worshipped here for about 160 years, 
And as I work here, walk here on Sunday morning along Acacia Grove, I think about following the footsteps of all my ancestors who have done this over the years before me. Next. And this is the family house in Acacia Grove uh, before my father sold it in the late 1950s and this is now Fairacre. Uh, this picture was taken about 1900 and the person by the gate was my uncle Edgar and he already was the third generation to worship in this church and he was here for the whole of his life. As far as I know he was baptised here and I know that his funeral took place here. Next. And this, we're moving now on to 1928, and these are my parents who were married here. But I don't know why, but shortly afterwards, my branch of the family left Christ Church and became Roman Catholics. Uh, but the rest of the family continued to worship here. About this point, people usually show pictures of them when young. So here we are. This is me, age 10, my brother John, age 14, in Oxshot Woods. You can see the war is still on from the hoods over the headlights and you couldn't get antifreeze because that all went to fighters. So there's this muffler over the radiator to control the temperature. So, as I said, I grew up as a Catholic and in my very late teens, I became interested in the Jesuits at the Sacred Heart Church in Wimbledon. And I moved there to worship and in fact, I even one time considered becoming a Jesuit, but I didn't do so. But I did join one of their house groups. And later, friends from the church invited me to go on a trip to the Broads, something I very much wanted to do as I was a great Arthur Rantham fan. And while we were there, we visited this place, which is St Bennet's Abbey. There's not much of it left, and as you see, somebody built a windmill in the middle of it. Uh, next, but the, it is the only abbey which wasn't dissolved by Henry VIII. The Bishop of Norwich is still the abbot of St. Bennet's, and once a year he holds a service there as the abbot of St. Bennet's. And that service actually is taking place at three o'clock this afternoon this year. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but I, while I was there, I was at this service I was thinking about all the various girlfriends I had had, none of whom seemed to be quite the one with which I wanted to spend the rest of my life. So I, something made me pray that I would soon find the right partner. And I have a great faith in the power of prayer. It's just answered too many times to be a coincidence. And a few weeks later, eh, uh, this person joined the house group and we very quickly seemed to strike it off and get on very well together. And as they say, the rest is history. Uh, we had 55 years of very happy married life and produced six daughters and uh, the mutual support we had help get us through all those difficulties that one has in life. Uh, the sick daughters kept us very poor, but what we received from family life made it very well worth it. I always said 
The best thing I ever did was ask her to marry me. And the best things ever happened to me was when she said yes. Although she did keep me waiting 24 hours before she gave me her answer. Uh, right, next. These are our six daughters. This is a little while ago. This was 2010. So they're a bit older than this now. In fact, the one on the right is my oldest, Carol. And she is now 61. And it makes you feel very old when your children start getting into their 60s. Uh, next. And this, at the same time in 2010, uh, was my immediate family. This is just uh, children, boyfriends, husbands, grandchildren. And uh, I've now got four great-grandchildren. Uh, the couple getting married here have produced three children, and her cousin, the blonde to her right, has got one child. But I've no doubt I have got many more great-grandchildren to come. Uh, next, I uh, was out, very much outnumbered at home uh, because I was the only male except for the cat and that had been neutered. <laughs> so I escaped to a more male environment by being part-time in charge of a police boat for 26 years. This is incredibly boring uh, when at three o'clock in the snow and the dark of Kew Gardens you're just sitting there. But several times I had to risk my life, uh, but you know, that is what you agree to when you join. And I remember one occasion that was we were told there was a body which we actually spotted, but it was a strong tide running and it was about to go underneath a line of barges. So it was unsafe to go in. And so we thought, oh, we'll just have to leave it. And at that very moment, an arm came up from this body. So we realised, in fact, it was somebody who was alive. This completely changed the situation. And under the health and safety rules which had been hammered into us, we were no way we were allowed to go in and hazard our lives and that of the, um, the boat as well. But... All of us felt in the boat we could not let this happen. So we just shot in. Uh, my crew hauled this woman in and we got back out, and I'm glad to say, safely. Uh, and according to our reports, we were further away from the barges. And nobody knows about this until now. And uh, if I had, they had known, I would almost certainly have got the sack. Uh, and... Now, in these talks, people always mention their work. I find this very difficult, as I've done so many things, and many of them at exactly the same time. But my main job was running my small group of companies that I set up in graphics communication. Uh, you probably can't read it. It was the KP group of companies, of which was a printer, King Print, uh, uh, an industrial photographic, company and then I set up an electronics company and we designed uh, electronic equipment, phototype setters and editors and this sort of thing for the printing industry and then environmental publishers 
Richmond Publishing, all of these companies for our retired became management buyouts, except for the publishing company, which is still run by one of my doctors, Sue. Uh, I also ran courses for a number of universities, Field Studies Council and other organisations. My wife used to say I'd run a course on anything if people would pay me. This isn't quite true, but they did vary a lot, from cost accountancy, Richmond Park, to the architecture of churches. However, my favourite job was working with Wildlife Department of the BBC, which I did on a number of series, and the picture we've got here shows filming on the series The Living Isles. Uh, I also did a programme on Wildlife of Brockenhurst Church, of which I played a major part, and this was short-lifted for a Bachelor Award. We got down to the last 12, but failed to get into the last six, so I never got invited to the reward award ceremony. But I did feel this work helped to show people the wonders of God's creation, what God would want us to do and hopefully preserve and not destroy his world. Next. Uh, my last appearance was five years ago on Gardener's Question Time from Lavenham. If any of you watch or listen to Gardener's Question Time, that's Bob Flowerdew on the left. Uh, we discussed a number of things, and I spoke about a common plant I have in my garden, which if you lie under it for ten minutes, you die. But I managed to get there, but it was a bit of a struggle, and my health deteriorated, and since then I've been in and out of hospital with many things, including asthma, sepsis, and heart problems, but I'm still here. Now, my only foray into politics was when I stood for Mayor of London, as only 13% of the electorate had voted for having another assembly, and I felt that this was just another layer of government, delay things and cost a lot of money. And I was actually proving to be very successful. I would never have got elected, but uh, it was endless television and radio and newspaper interviews. And uh, my sponsor, because of this success, started saying, oh, I think if you do get elected, well, these should be our policies. Well, my policy is that if I was elected, I'd immediately resign. So unfortunately, I had to drop him, and I couldn't afford £25,000, so I had to fall out of it. But it quite surprised me how far this had spread. And this is a bit about my candidature in a Japanese paper from Japan. And so the only thing I've got out of this, I now know how to write my name in Japanese. Uh, and this next, this I loved. I can't remember what paper this was in, but uh, this, the other Frank Dobson was also standing, and this was comparing the two of us, me as super dob and him as underdob. Uh, which I greatly appreciate this one. Next. Now, in my spare time, my greatest joy 
was my windmill on the River Thurne in Norfolk. There was no Catholic church nearby, so I attended what I call my other church, St Mary's Martham, where I always received the most wonderful welcome. I'm on their prayer list as I have been for some years and people above me have steadily died off mainly and I'm now at the top so I rather wonder if I am the next one who will have to go. They have this enormous sort of 15th century, virtually a cathedral, which the upkeep is huge and there are only 50 on the electoral roll but hard work and much prayer, and God always seems to provide the money. They've just had to find £300,000, which they have, for a new roof. But, uh, you can go next. Uh, I was very fortunate that I had good health until I was 70, but at that point it all changed. First, I had prostate cancer, which, fortunately seemed to have been cured, but left me with severe radiation damage. Then a succession of other problems before I was admitted to Kingston, where they thought I'd got an allergy because I couldn't swallow or talk and was drowning on my own saliva. I reached a state where I was near death and I hadn't slept for two days and I'd had enough and I prayed Lord, if you want me, I'm ready to go. I then surprisingly fell asleep for a few hours, and when I woke, I had heard... Uh, well, it wasn't really a voice, it was a sort of voice. I can't really describe it. But this voice said, You can't go yet, you've still got work to do. Well, I don't know what that work is, but I hope I'm doing it. A few hours later... This is all so surprising. I was told I was having an emergency transfer to St George's that maybe they could sort out the problem. Now this turned out to be the only place at that time in the southeast that deals with myasthenia gravis, which is what I was actually suffering from. And they started treatment, but it takes a long time. So I deteriorated and got to the point in intensive care where I couldn't breathe and was put on a ventilator. That is truly horrible with all these pipes and sponges and things down your throat. And I still continued downwards. And I could never have survived without the strength that Mary gave me by her presence. And one evening, just as she was going home, she was told and be ready to come back. He is extremely unlikely to survive the night. She came home and one of our daughters was there, whilst if anything she wanted, and she replied, a miracle. Well, I don't know if it's a miracle, but as you can see, I'm still here. I don't know if any of you saw the TV programme, An Ireland Parish, about Sark. The Methodist minister there dropped a paving stone on her foot this broke a number of bones and she was shipped off to the mainland to have it sort of plastered up and came home. Now there are no cars on Sark, so she couldn't really fulfil her ministry. And she prayed about it and she got this sort of voice which said, 
get up and walk. She thought, well, I can't get up. I can't walk. The voices repeated, get up and walk. So she got up and miraculously the bones had healed. And this, I think, very much shows the power of prayer. Coming back to myself, when I was eventually discharged, I found that Mary was very ill, something she'd kept from me while I was in hospital, so she didn't want to worry me further. And she was admitted to hospital on the 15th of December 2012, where she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died shortly afterwards on January the 9th. One of the last things she said to me was, do not let them remove my wedding ring. I've worn it for 50 years since you put on my finger at our wedding, and I want to keep it on as long as possible. I miss her now as much as I did when she died. On the 9-11 memorial in New York is carved, Grief is the price of love. This is a very high price to pay. But nevertheless, I think paying this price is better than not having had that mutual love in the first place. I look forward very much to being reunited with Mary eventually. But as Jesus said in Luke 20, 34 to 36, it won't be the same as married life. We will be like angels resurrected children. As I said earlier, I grew up a Roman Catholic, but I became very unhappy about a number of things. And about 10 years ago, I made what was a very difficult decision to leave, and I moved back here to the family church and received a very warm welcome. And shortly after that, Mary joined me here, and I've been here ever since. Now, a final true story. One of my sons-in-law, who was actually here for the 9.30 service, Nick, uh, felt that he should help people who were even poorer than he. He had little spare money. He got his own young family and was in the police. But he decided he should help, so he contacted Help the Children. At the same time, a Catholic priest in Lesotho had a small boy, Rantoa, who had great, he felt great potential, but a very poor family who could not afford to get him educated. Uh, and uh, so Nick agreed that he would help pay for his education, which he did. And then when he finished, uh, Nick, I think, drew a bit of a sigh of relief, but he then said he wanted to go on to university. So Nick said, right, well, I'll help as best I can. But, of course, university was a lot more expensive than a village school. So the family got to the point where they had to say, I'm sorry, you cannot continue with your studies. You will have to come home. And he came home. And that very same day, some money arrived from Nick and with this, they said, right, you can go back to university. And they bought a goat, which changed the family finances as they were able to sell the milk and the young produced by this goat. Uh, now, uh, Rantoa 
eventually qualified as a civil engineer and he was very successful and actually became very wealthy. Uh, and he paid with this money for other children to be educated and taught a trade. And one day he got in contact with Nick and said, well, none of this would have happened without your help. So he invited Nick. And at that time, his eldest daughter was working in Australia as a nurse. So we hadn't seen her for some time. So he said, come on, bring her over and all expenses paid and we'll meet there in South Africa. And there is Nick with Rantoa. And I think this shows how, with a helping hand from us here on earth, God can multiply its effect much as he multiplied the loaves and fishes, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the reading today from James 2 shows how true faith is shown in works. And shortly we'll be singing, I, the Lord of sky and sea, with the chorus, here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. As Christians, I'm sure we all attempt to answer that cry. I certainly try and sometimes fail, but keep trying through my faith and the grace of Christ. And that is why I am a Christian. All oh, that plant, by the way, if you... Uh, lay under it and die is called a water lily. Well, I'm a bit nervous. I sometimes go around to Frank's house and I've got to make sure I don't get that, go near that water lily. We are very, very grateful to Frank and there's so much that Frank could have included uh, within his talk. One of the things I said to 9.30 uh, this morning was that um, among the things Frank didn't mention was the fact that he competed at the Olympic Games. He is an Olympian the 1960 Olympics, uh, Frank represented Britain in shooting. Uh, but the thing that I'd particularly like to mention is that when we do Grapevine and when we do the night shelter and we have homeless people come into this church and we're never quite sure what they'll be like or how we're going to handle uh, things, Frank is there as a very faithful um, leader of the night shelter and uh, we are so grateful to everything Frank brings to this church and, and Mary as well when she was a member here and so thank you, Frank, so much for sharing with us this morning why you're a Christian. <laughs>